Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. The running back market. All right, so there are definitely good reasons why the market for running backs in the NFL is now tanking faster than even crypto. And it can also be true that nobody is enjoying watching that play out. But the single biggest truth of all right now is this. I know it's going to sound very counterintuitive to what I do on this program because I'm the first guy to say that saying something sucks is not a take. It's lazy. However, it sucks to be a running back. In fact, it's the take of the year in the NFL so far, and it happened on this very program when my dude, Melvin Gordon, came in here last month. Not yesterday, not last week, but last month, and he said it exactly the way it is for running backs. It's just so tough for running backs right now, man. You have a lot of running backs that's out there. and We just <laughs> we just don't get no love. It's literally the worst position to play in the NFL right now. You know, it's, it's, it literally sucks. That's literally awesome. I mean, I, I don't mean it's awesome that they're in that position, but I mean that take is literally awesome. And it's not something he said yesterday at the deadline. This is something he said a month ago. I mean, what an amazing take. He just said it perfectly. Alvin, I wouldn't mind hearing that one more time. Melvin Gordon on this show talking about what it's like to be an NFL running back right now. It's just so tough for running backs right now, man. You have a lot of running backs that's out there. and We just <laughs> we just don't get no love. It's literally the worst position to play in the NFL right now. You know, it's, it's, it literally sucks. It's literally the perfect take. I mean, I'm not celebrating the fact that these guys can't get paid. Yeah, I know. I know. They have the tag. They get paid what you'd give to get the crap beat out of you to make $10 million bucks a year. I understand all that. But relative to what they do and what other guys get paid, they're not getting paid. So he's right. It is literally the worst position to play in the NFL right now. It literally sucks. He could not be more right. And it's not just Saquon Barkley and Josh Jacobs and Tony Pollard that didn't get paid this offseason. Essentially, nobody got paid this offseason. As an example, the Lions let that legend their heart and soul, the leader of the hidden village of the den himself, Jamal Williams, leader of the hidden village of the den. Love him. They let that dude walk right out the door. Dalvin Cook, Zeke Elliott got flat out cut because they made too much money. Neither one of them has found a new job. Aaron Jones and Joe Mixon both had to take pay cuts to keep their jobs. Austin Eckler wanted a new deal or a trade and got neither. So, yes, it is pretty rough to watch Saquon get nothing but a franchise tag, a tag that he wants nothing to do with, while Danny Turnovers gets paid. And it was even more brutal to hear that the reigning NFL rushing champ, I mean, this dude was lights out last year. Played his ass off. The reigning NFL rushing champ, Josh Jacobs, was sitting in a car with Max Crosby at the Raiders facility waiting to sign a deal that never got done yesterday. That's where he was at the deadline. Sitting in a car, man. He wants to be there. The dude badly wants to be a Raider. He wants to stay a Raider. He literally told me on Radio Row that that he wants to be a Raider for life. Whoever says that, 
And still, no deal. For life, for life. My dude's sitting in a car outside the facility waiting, just waiting for the call, pen in hand. But Jacobs did not get his bag for the same reason that Saquon did not get his bag, for the same reason that nobody got their bag. Absolutely nobody is getting paid right now at that position. Am I right, Melvin? Literally the worst position to play at NFL right now. You know, it literally sucks. I mean, it literally does, especially because of how brutal playing that position is. These dudes take as much punishment, if not more, than anybody else on the field. And because of that, their careers are shorter than pretty much anybody on the field. So logic would dictate that you would get paid more, not less, right? You're taking more punishment and your career is shorter. That said, under the current system, I understand why this is happening. Easier to draft a back into a slotted contract, slap a franchise tag on him for a year at the end of the contract, and then just rinse and repeat the process. This is what good teams are doing. This is what's working. It makes football sense. It makes financial sense. It just completely screws the running back. And unless something is tweaked with the rookie running back contracts or the franchise tag, then nothing's going to change for them. Running backs will continue to get jammed and kids that are toting the rock right now, we're all going to run to their peewee coaches and tell them they want to play on the outside because it's the WR1s who are getting paid, even the WR2s who are getting paid because the NFL is now a passing league. It's a quarterback league. Running backs are expendable, unfortunately for them. They are replaceable, unfortunately for them, and you can find some quality on the cheap. And that's just the way things are. That's the way things, unfortunately, are evolving for them. Or as Saquon put it on Twitter yesterday, quote, it is what it is. It is what it is. Exactly. It is what it is. And what it is is a really crappy situation for running backs. It sucks. That's why you saw almost every running back in the league rush to Twitter in a show of solidarity to pick each other up. But what's that going to get them? few likes, maybe a couple of retweets, but it's not going to change the bottom line. But then again, don't take my word for it. Take it from the legend, Melvin Gordon, who hit us all with some real talk when he did appear on the program recently. It's just so tough for running backs right now, man. You have a lot of running backs that's out there. and We just <laughs> we just don't get no love. It's literally the worst position to play in the NFL right now. You know, it literally sucks. Literally. So what are these guys going to do? Are they going to hold out? Is Saquon going to hold out? Is Josh Jacobs going to hold out? Is that going to do any good whatsoever? I don't know that I would demand more money. I think I would demand a position change. I'm not going to that running back's room. For who? For what? Now I'm going to go to a position where guys get paid. Line me up outside. In fact, let me put my hand in the dirt. I'm coming off the edge. Yeah, I don't know, Saquon. You sure you want to do that? Oh, yeah, that's exactly what I want to do. I know he's getting paid. In fact, in fact, I'm pretty damn sure I could play quarterback at least as well as Danny Turnovers with a few reps. 
And, and by the way, you know what seems to have good job security? Not running back, but you know what does? Long snapping. Those dudes keep those jobs forever. I don't even know who our long snapper is. I just know that I'm going to be him now. Or I could be a holder. They seem to stick. Man, what a bad deal. It is for running backs. But that's the way the league has evolved, right? It is a quarterback league. It is a passing league. And the league has figured out, get these guys on that rookie contract. Slot them on that contract. You know, it literally sucks. It does. That literally is one of my favorite takes ever. And again, I'm not in any way celebrating their plight. It does suck. But I don't see it changing anytime soon. Short of them changing the tag, short of them somehow unionizing the position, how is this going to change? I'll tell you what is going to change. Mamas and papas are not going to let their kids grow up to be running backs. And not if they want to get them paid. Discover credit cards do something pretty awesome. At the end of your first year, they automatically double all the cash back you've earned. That's right. Everything you have earned doubled. All the cash back from eating at your favorite restaurant doubled. All the cash back from that trip where you sort of learned to snowboard also doubled. And the best part, you don't have to do anything ridiculous to get it. Discover does it automatically. Seriously, though. See terms and check it out for yourself at discover.com slash match. Jeff Brom joins me once again. Jeff, it's great to have you back. How are you? I'm doing great, buddy. Thanks for having me. Good to have you, Jeff. So you and I talked about this shortly after you got that gig. But let me ask you, everybody wants to do it. So few people get the opportunity. You are one of the only ones who gets to actually come home. So what's it been like so far, and how has your summer been? Well, you know what? It's been a good uh, first about six months on the job. Of course, a lot of uh, work to be done, a lot of things to to get ready for the first game. But, uh, you know, see a lot of familiar faces, a lot of people that I know that are invested in the program, a lot of fans that I know really are passionate about finding a way to win. And it's up to me to, to spearhead that and, and to be the leader of it. And I think I just understand the uh, um, all that goes into to trying to create a, a winning football team, a winning atmosphere, uh, and all the work that has to be done. And I'm going to make sure, you know, as a head coach, I do my part and that continues down to our assistants and our players, but uh, there's a lot on our plate, but you got to attack it every day and, and uh, never back down and hope for the best. Jeff Brom joining us. That's some of that Jeff Brom intensity that I like and I respect. You know, you do know. You know what it takes to get that thing built, how to get it done. So let me ask you this. Every single coach that I've ever spoken to talks about the importance of culture. Obviously, in your experience, how long does it take to instill a culture, you know, a culture where you get a full buy-in from your players? How long does that take? Well, I'll tell you what. I really don't put a time frame on it. I think that uh... – you know, the team is going to take on the personality of the head coach to a certain degree and the personality of the assistants. And we have to just make sure that, uh, you know, every day we're putting in the work to get better. And every day we're around our players, we're studying the game, we're finding ways to improve, we're figuring out answers for problems so that when they come up we have immediate answers on the field during the season. And our players have to see that. And I just think it's important that, uh, you know, they see the head coach working, putting in the time, they see our assistants working, putting in the time, and then that will encourage them to want to work and understand that hopefully when they take the field, being a former player myself, they, they have the feeling that, you know what, yes, we do have a chance to win this game, and here are the reasons why. And let's just do our part because I know 
uh, for a fact the others are doing their parts. I just think it has to be a, a total buy-in of people visibly seeing others put in hard work, uh, have a good attitude, come to work every day, trying to improve and get better, encouraging others to, to work harder and find ways to, to ante up and, and, and push the envelope. And I just think that if you stick together and you work hard through it, that naturally will occur as long as you have the right people doing it. So one more thought about that. What comes first, the culture or the wins? In other words, do you establish the culture and then the wins follow, or does the culture take hold once you start winning? Well, I think you have to have that uh, winning atmosphere uh, in the office and, and on the practice field and in the weight room. And uh, the, they have to see people encouraging and investing in them and helping them improve and get better. And I, you know, we've taken a lot of pride here at trying to, you know, there's, some, there's always some difference makers on your team that just want to be great and want to stand out and be the best one in the country. And if they have coaches that are willing to put in that time and extra effort with them to get it done, then normally good things happen. So I think we've been pretty good at that in the past. We've got to continue to, uh, you know, coach the entire team to be its very best, but also spend that extra time every day uh, in helping our guys improve and get better. And I think if you do that, winning will happen. Now, doesn't mean it's going to happen all the time. We tell our players, hey, you know, even sometimes the national championship team will lose a game. You have to find ways to handle losses and how are you going to handle the adversity and, and understand that it's going to happen at some point in time and you've got to be able to learn from it quickly and come back the next week and play even harder. We're talking to Jeff Brom. So, Jeff, under center, you've got Jack Plummer. He spent last year at Cal. He played three years with you at Purdue. When you talk about difference makers, is he one of those difference makers? And then what does he bring to this team? Well, we think he can be. You know what? Uh, he's got a ton of experience. He's played a lot of football, and that adds a lot of value. Uh, he's been battle-tested. He's been able to handle some big wins and then some tough losses. He's been a starter. He's sometimes uh, had somebody step ahead of him. But he's fought through it. He has a great attitude. He's come here um, you know, with one year left. Uh, he wants to go out with the bang. He wants to help this football team win. He wants to improve his, his game. He wants to put his name up there amongst the – the best in the country if we find a way to win. And he understands all those things have to happen to get that done. But as far as uh, being a great leader, putting in the work, uh, studying the football game, uh, being battle-tested, uh, he has that. So we want to help him uh, achieve those goals. And it takes the you know our coaches doing their part, our, our, our teammates around them playing well, uh, building a team that plays good defense, that's good on special teams, that doesn't put too much pressure on the quarterback, which – I've had a, a fault of doing that at times, but I just think he really has played a lot of football, and that's going to come uh, in handy when we start playing football games. We are talking to Jeff Brom. So in terms of having the help around him, you got a couple of guys in the backfield that should take some of the edge off. You've got a running back tandem of Jahar Jordan and Maurice Turner. Turner led the Cardinals in rushing last year, and then I should say Jordan, and then Turner had a solid true freshman year. How excited are you to get both of them going in your system? offensively well I think it'll really help Jawar is really a special player we've been uh very pleasantly uh, pleased uh with how he's played he's really quick he's athletic he has good hands he can make guys miss Maurice Turner also runs uh powerful and can do some special things in the backfield and that's a good tandem you know we really have kind of been built a little more around our receiver play since I've been a head coach and uh, you know to have two really good solid running backs there we want to try to make sure that we spread the wealth around and then you continue to build it with you know, guys on the perimeter that can make plays in space and create touchdowns and big plays. But I just think it takes everybody. Uh, but if you have a good tandem of running backs, man, it really 
uh, takes a lot of pressure off that quarterback. We're talking Louisville football for a few more moments with Jeff Brom. So, Jeff, because there is no preseason in college football per se, you've got a lot of teams that try to kind of ease into it by hosting a non-conference game. That's not the case with you. You're going to open up on the road against Georgia Tech. Does that kind of thing create an even greater sense of urgency with every single offseason workout and everything the players do individually knowing that they've got to hit the ground running? Without question, it does. Anytime you start with a conference game, you understand the importance of it. Going on the road is even more important. You've got to be ready to play. I think uh, throughout my years as a head coach, especially at Purdue, we played a lot of uh, tough football games, a lot of tough not- uh, non-conference football games. Uh, you know, this year at Louisville, we have 11 Power Five teams on our on our schedule, which isn't very common uh, nowadays. But that's how we like it. I think uh, anytime you can play a tough schedule of really talented teams, it helps your team understand. Look, there's no weeks off. You've got to prepare. You've got to put in the work. You've got to do everything you can to to lay it on the line to win this football game. When it's over, win or lose, you got to come back and do it again. And that's just what really good football teams can do across the country. Is they're able to do it every single week. They have the inner confidence. Uh, and self-esteem to perform every single time they step on the field. And then if something bad happens or there's a little hiccup, they're able to rebound quickly. And that's what we got to uh, try to build here. And it's got to start with myself, and we've got to be ready to go. And, and hopefully uh, the study that we put in on all of our opponents up to this point will help. And then as we get to that week, you're a little bit ahead. Uh, and your players just got to put in the work and you're ready to play. Man, that's true. You do have a schedule now. You've got Notre Dame coming to Louisville in October. You're going to go back to the Big Ten and take on Indiana in mid-September, and then you've got that rugged in-conference schedule. Before I let you go, you did mention the defense briefly. You're returning six starting players on defense that held the opposition to under 20 points per game last season. What is the outlook on that side of the ball this season? Well, I think we can be a special t- uh, team on that side of the ball. I think the last half of the year last year, they performed at a high level. You saw them really improve. They were able to uh, put more pressure on the quarterback, uh, challenge routes on the outside, allow their guys to take chances and make plays. We want to build off that. We understand that uh, that was a strength. Uh, it really helped elevate the play of, of, of this football team last year at the last half of the season. We want to build on it. I think we, we do have some veterans coming back and Ashton Gelati at the defensive end position and Jarvis Brandley, Quinton Rowley at the corner position with a host of others that have played football. And I think they have to understand in order to, uh, to win championship level football, you've you got to be really good on defense. You've got to be solid. You've got to be aggressive. You've got to attack. You've got to create turnovers. You've got to get sacks. You've got to affect the quarterback, stop the run. All those things have to happen. And I do think that our defense uh, did a really good job this spring. Uh, there's some missing parts that were out due to some injuries that will be back healthy once we hit fall camp, and we've got to build on that. So, Jeff, one last thought. You take over a program that won eight games and the Fenway Bowl last season. The energy and the expectations have only ramped up since then with the sale of 6,000 new season tickets since you were hired. So how would you describe the buzz on campus and around town? Well, I think we got a fat, passionate fan base here. You know, this is a great sports town, a tremendous football stadium, an outstanding basketball arena that's as good as anywhere in the country, uh, and no pro, pro sports. So I think they want to see a winning team take the field. They want to see a team that plays hard and tough and smart and competes every single day. And I think if you do that, they will come out. And I think, of course, winning will obviously help. But, uh, you know, playing the game the way it's supposed to be with excitement, enthusiasm, with the creative approach of the game, uh, creating um, a team that people want to watch and want to see play and are familiar with uh, some of the names because of some big plays that are able to happen is all important. So we got to do everything uh, to continue to spearhead that. We want even more people out to the games. But, of course, 
uh, how you play in winning football will matter, and I think you have to get up to a good start. I like it. Louisville has got a brand-new head coach. He's one of their own. He returns home. They open up their season September 1st at Georgia Tech. It's going to be great to see Jeff Brom, my guest. Jeff, I appreciate you. Always good to have you on the show. Thanks so much. Okay, thank you. Have a good day. U.S. Cellular has some great news, especially for you, person listening to this podcast. Right now, you can get one line with unlimited data for just $29.99. So, unlike other cell networks, you won't have to pay for lines you don't need just to get a good price. Get one line for $29.99 with unlimited data today. U.S. Cellular, built for us. Terms do apply. Visit uscellular.com for details. It's Philly fan. Philly fan. I love you. You know this. You're good for the show. You're good for sports. I'm all about it. You know I love you, Philly fan. But you also know who you are. You are the ones that the city has to grease up light poles for before major sporting events. And then yet, you climb them nonetheless. You're the ones that are famous for shoving down fresh horse crap sandos to celebrate a Super Bowl. I love you for that. I love you for all of it. But if anybody knows a messy slop fest, when they see one, it is Philly fan. Thing is, though, it doesn't really take Philly fans' expertise in this area to see that the Sixers are a bleep show right now. A crap show. Everybody can see that, which is why Sixer fan is even more red-assed and pissed off than normal. And it's hard to blame them, right? It's been a brutal few months. First, they blow a 3-2 lead to the hated Celtics in the postseason, including that hideous Game 7 meltdown. Then they fired Doc Rivers. Not saying that he didn't deserve that. But did they fire Doc to appease James Larden? Even though Larden scored literally zero fourth quarter points in the final three games of the Celtics series, and now he wants out. I mean, how Larden of him. He does nothing in the fourth quarter of those three critical games, gets the coach fired, you know, because of that comment when he was asked, what about your relationship with Doc Rivers? And he gave kind of a non-answer to that, which was the biggest answer of all. And so what's he do? He turns around and he asks for a trade to the Clippers of all places. And now he and Daryl Morey have got this weird standoff, which is playing out like through leaked media stories. I mean, like I said, a complete and total bleep show. So things are ugly. Sixer fan is really unhappy. So the last thing that Sixer fan wanted to hear was the very thing that Joel Embiid went viral for saying. Essentially, the last thing in the world Sixer fan wanted to hear right now. Sixer fan already is pissed. The last thing that Sixer fan, and I'm even comfortable speaking for Sixer fan, the last thing Sixer fan wanted to hear as red-assed as he or she is right now is Joel saying this. I just want to win a championship, Um, you know, whatever it takes. I don't know what that's going to be, whether it's a Philly or, you know, anywhere else. You know, I just want to have a chance uh, to accomplish that I want to see what it feels like to win that first one and then you can think about you know the next one well philly fan heard that philly fan heard that 
He just wants to win, quote, whether that's in Philly or anywhere else, end of quote, or anywhere else. A phrase that led all of Philly into a simultaneous, slow-motion, Carl Lewis edition of Uh-oh! So, of course, in today's lava-spewing, hot-taking, sky-is-falling landscape, everybody basically took that to mean Joel is done, Joel wants out of Philadelphia, Joel's a quitter, even though that's not what he said. And it wouldn't make any sense anyway, and it's not happening. Listen, Daryl Morey doesn't even want to trade Larden. Doesn't even want to move Larden. So he sure as hell is not going to trade the reigning MVP who is still under contract for another three more years. Morey doesn't even want to trade a player that's about a million times more likely to show up to camp rocking a blubber layer fat suit. Then a six-pack. Maury's not looking to move Joel, and Joel was not asking out right there. He wasn't. How do I know that? As always, don't take my word for it. Take it from the man himself. Joel Troel Embiid on Twitter. He jumped on yesterday to remind everybody, and I quote, Buddy, check my middle name. He tweeted that, as in Troel, as in I was just Troeling you all. Of course, upon hearing that, that made Philly fan even more pissed and even more red-assed. And I get it. I get it. It's a rough time to get Troeled by your superstar, by your MVP, when it seems like the house is already on fire. I get why you would think that's not as funny as he thought it was. But also, what is the dude supposed to say? Because he can't win right now. He can't. He can't win right now because he hasn't won yet. And I'm going to say again, it's not his fault. He doesn't have enough help. All right? He wasn't going to beat Denver with what he had. Miami, maybe. But they couldn't even come back or they couldn't hold on to their 3-2 lead against Boston. So the guy can't win, no matter what he says, right? He can't win no matter what he says because he doesn't have a Lario yet. Nobody's going to be happy or satisfied until Joel gets that ring. Like, what if he had said this instead? Finishing my career in Philly is more important to me than winning a championship. Then you all would have killed him for that too. You all would have said, he doesn't care about winning. He doesn't care nearly enough about winning. He just wants to be where he's comfortable. He doesn't want it badly enough. I mean, don't deny it. You would have said that. Sixer fan should be happy that he wants to win this badly. You should all be happy that this dude does feel a sense of urgency to win right now. He should. He needs to. He also tweeted out something else in response to a fan. Quote, Father Time is undefeated. It's a great take. It's almost like that dude listens to this show. The point is, Troel knows he's on the clock. We all are, but especially that guy. He knows nothing is guaranteed. He knows he's on the clock. I don't think this dude's looking to leave at all. I think this guy's looking to win. 
and he's looking to win it all, and he's looking to do it right now, and he's looking to do it right where he is, but he needs help. He needs more than what they've surrounded him with. And he's looking around, and he sees an absolute bleep show. He sees Daryl Morey in the beard in the middle of some weird lover's quarrel standoff. Doesn't exactly inspire confidence. And that's where the in Philly or somewhere else comment comes from. One, it's a bleep show, and he knows it. And two, he is Troel. He probably did kind of lob that Molotov cocktail into the proceedings to see what would happen, and he got his reaction. My point is, this guy's not going anywhere. They're not moving him. He doesn't want to move. I don't care what he said. He wants to win. He wants to win right there. He knows he'll be a legend forever. However, if they can't give him the help that he needs, he still wants to win. I don't know. The thing about being a Troel is there's a right time and a wrong time. Far be it for me to tell Troel when to go Troel. The funny thing about trolling, though, is it's not really trolling if it's the right time, right? Like, it's only trolling if it's a bad or uncomfortable time to say something. That's the whole point of trolling. That's what it means to troll somebody. For instance, remember what he said after scoring 15 points in that Game 7 beatdown loss to the Celtics? You know, that game that all you Sixer fans are killing him for. That he only had 15. If you don't remember, he kind of turned it on his head and tried to run a little misdirection and divert attention away because he knows he wasn't good enough. He knows he has to do more. So what did he do? He used that opportunity to troll the hell out of Giannis. Someone said it was not a failure, you know, steps to success. I mean, I know, Philly fan, I know you're not going to laugh at that, but I can't help but laugh at that. The guy scores 15 in a Game 7 loss where you come from ahead to lose a series against your bitter rival. And he's like, yeah, it was somebody famous once said. And just trolled the hell out of Giannis. I mean, to me, hilarious, but horrifically timed. The dude just walked off the court after shooting 5 for 18 in a 24-point beatdown loss in Game 7. Philly fan, I know what you want him to say. You want him to say, it's me, man. It's on me. That loss is on me. I'll make damn sure that never happens ever again. That's on me. But that's not what he did. Why? Check his middle name. Troel. Instead, he's making jokes and trolling other dudes. Why? Because that's what he does. Trust me. Joel knows how ridiculous it is to say... There is no failure in sports. There's no failure in sports. Joel knows all about the failure in sports. He's tired of the failure. He knows his time is limited. He wants to experience the ultimate success. That's all he was saying in that quote. He wasn't throwing down any ultimatums. He wasn't going Larden or Kyrie or Katie or LaCap, or AD. He wasn't trying to force his way out of any situation. He just was kind of relaxed and going Troel. So you can all relax, or try to relax, 
or do whatever your version of relaxing is. I don't know. Maybe you head to the nearest empty parking lot to whip around some D-cells. Maybe hit the empty vodka bottle tossing range. Maybe track down a summer Santa Claus and boo his ass. Whatever you got to do to blow off that steam, do it. But nothing's changed. He's not the reason that you didn't win the Larry O. He's not the problem. He's just doing what he does. Troelling. You got much bigger problems than him. And they started before. Long before. Get him some help. Let me ask you something. Not that Dame wants to go there. But what if he had Dame and not Larden? How different might that look? Philly, J.D. J.D., what's up with you? Hey, Jim. Welcome back. It's great to have you back. Great to sweep the Madres out of town, and that's what's in. Uh, I wanted to agree with your takes about the train wreck that is, that is the Philadelphia 76ers. Our local honks are just going absolutely ape on Joel, and he, he has shared a frustration that a minority of us feel, and that is when you got rid of Jimmy Buckets, you know, that's when our window probably closed. So we understand uh, his frustration, and you're right. He isn't going anywhere, and what we need right now is for the Iafrady of general managers, Daryl Morey, to do something other than a request that Larden send his grandkids cameos in the fat suit. Our biggest beef with the Sixers is that we were hoping to complete the Philly Slam. We lost the World Series. Lost the Super Bowl. We lost the MLS Cup in soccer. Thankfully, Mark in Hollywood saved us in the smack off by with this runner-up finish. So that completes the Philly Slam. I don't know what we get for it. Maybe our horse crap stand up without the hoagie roll. But you know, great job by Mark. Great job in the smack off. And looking forward to a good year in the jungle, Jim. Thanks. I'm out. Good job, JD. Rack him. We are gonna have a good year in the jungle. Rack I can him. promise you that. Matt, what's going on? Good to have you. Romy, what's up? Thanks for the line. You got it. So, I got to call out Philly fan. And I got to call out all those Philly fans out there, and especially Kendrick Perkins, who sat out there and said Nikola Jokic wasn't the legitimate MVP. I think what happened yesterday with Mr. Joel Troel Embiid is proof right there that Nikola Jokic is your MVP and should have been your three-time MVP and something special should have been done. Joel did something that the NBA has never seen. He won the MVP and didn't even get to the conference finals. And when he was in Denver, he ran away with some phantom calf injury, and it just proved to everybody in Denver and proved to everybody in the world that this guy is a fraud more than he is an MVP. That's my take. I hope you guys have a good one. Go Broncos. Have a great day. All right, Matt. Nice job. I don't agree with you, but nice job. You had a take. In market, on topic. Let's go to Louisville. Scott. Good to have you, Scott. How are you? Yeah, I'm great. How are you? Good, good. Hey, uh, long-time listener, going back before the Rex Street where you also interviewed another local coach and Rex Karma at the time. But, man, first-time caller, and just wanted to say thanks for having Jeff Brom on the show today. I, I just want to speak for Card Nation for a minute and just explain how pumped up we are that he is back where he belongs. It was a pretty big gut punch 
four or five years ago when he said no to us. And I think the majority of the fan base understood at the time. The timing was off. He had just gotten Purdue, and he was just getting ready to make his mark there, and it culminated last year in the Big Ten title. So we kind of settled for Scott Satterfield. He did a good job, but the program just had no juice with him. And then, essentially, Christmas came early for us earlier this year when reports came out that Cincinnati won at Satterfield. And we just knew, you know, this is the time. You know, we're getting Braun back. And so now we have juice. We can't wait for this season. The thing is, Jim, is that Louisville's been a very good football program for several decades now. Our biggest problem has been we've never been able to have a head coach that has stuck with us. We've tried Petrino a couple times. We had Charlie Strong for three years. We just have never had, like, that Frank Beamer that Virginia Tech had. And now we have it. We really think we have it. Jeff, he's a hometown hero. He's our golden boy. And we are just so daggone pumped to have him back. Jimmy, it's an honor and pleasure to call your show and talk to you. Go Cards. I'm out. Bro, you made it better. Nice job. Really well done. Rack him. He is Andrew Brandt, and he is back. Andrew, good to have you on the show. How are you? Jim, always a pleasure. Good to be back with you. It's good to have you back here. Thank you very much, Andrew, for doing it. What do you say we cut right to the chase and go right to the plight of running backs and the running back market in the NFL? Has there ever been a worse time to be a running back than right now in that league, Andrew? Certainly not for veteran running backs, and we can describe that as we want, but basically mid-career that are finished with their rookie contracts and are heading into what everyone else seems to get, which is strong veteran contracts at the height of their career. The problem for running backs is NFL teams do not believe the same age that is the height of the career for every other position is the height of the career for a running back. And, Jim, I think it really starts before the NFL. We have this three-year eligibility rule to get into the NFL. You have to be three years removed from high school. For a quarterback, for offensive line, for defensive line, that's great. You know, you need that time to develop. But for running backs, those are prime earning years, age 19, 20, 21, or 18, 19, 20. And by the time you're 24, 25, you've used up – your most productive earning years, and that's what we're finding out now. Andrew Brandt joining us. So let me ask you this. Having said what you just said, is there any point in their career where running backs aren't getting jammed or squeezed financially? The problem is the collective bargaining agreement mandates four-year rookie contracts, five-year for first-rounders like Saquon Barkley, and now we have franchise tags giving it a six-year of team control. Saquon Barkley may never see free agency until he's seven years in the NFL. It's unfortunate. You know, maybe the best best thing for running backs is to be undrafted. You can only do it. You can do a, a three-year contract, have some success, and hit free agency at a very young age. But it's a bleak situation. And Jim, I'm not. Listen, I'm guilty of this. I was with the Packers, and I had reservations about two friends of mine that were close to me and resisted big, strong second contracts, Dorsey Levins and Amon Green. And we see what happens. It's, it's unfortunate. You see the Todd Gurley's, you see the Sean Alexander's, where second contracts went to pot, and that's what teams have learned. 
Talking to Andrew Brandt, I think those are two really good anecdotes and really good uh, examples of what we're talking about here. So, Andrew, what about when Saquon cryptically tweets, it is what it is? I mean, that's a cliche to fit almost anything. But when he does it in that context, can you decode that for me? What does he mean by that, it is what it is? Well, he's pissed. And, you know, he felt like the negotiation game was not what he expected it to be. We don't have the intricacies of what went on between the Giants and him, but he's making $10 million on a franchise. That would be about 11.2 next year, so basically 21 and a half if he did a two-year deal. I'm guessing that's about where the Giants were, you know, and I think he wants probably a minimum of 24, 25 over two. And I just think he felt like they, and I believe this about the Raiders and Cowboys too, they were negotiating a deal to be turned down. They would rather rent than buy. They would rather date than marry when it comes to a veteran running back. In other words, they're happy paying $10 million, giving them the ball however many hundred times, using them up. But here's where I feel for Barkley and on these other guys, Jim. If they're not getting a deal now, they're never getting a deal. Because they're only going to be a year older. They're only going to have year more usage. And someone like Josh Jacobs, who led the league in rushing, it's not going uphill from there. So this is a plight. And I know we're just focusing on it now, but it's been going on a while. Andrew Brand joining us. In fact, you beat me to that point. I was going to say what's got to be really discouraging is like Josh Jacobs. Andrew, he had an incredible year. He had an incredible year. He led the league in rushing. He said it to me on Radio Row at the Super Bowl. I want to be a Raider. I want to be a Raider for life. But, I mean, if these guys don't get these long-term deals right now, does it even matter what they do next year? Is there any reason to believe that no matter what they do next year or going forward that they're ever going to get that deal? I don't see how they do. I mean – Every position in football and every position in sports and every position in business and life, if you have significant productivity early in your career, you are creating future value later in your career. Think about everyone listening in their career. If they have productivity early on, they're going to create future value for themselves. In running back, if you have productivity early on, you're actually hurting your market value because of this idea of tread on the tire and usage, and maybe there's just not a lot of carries left in your body at age 26 and on. That's so unfortunate. And again, what we haven't talked about, and I want to get it in before we go, Jim, sure. is this, the tag. Right. I was going, by the way, I was going there next. Absolutely. Let's get into that. Yeah, I mean, again, if you're a quarterback – if you're an offensive lineman, you're going to have years after this tag. But a running back, you're not. You're not. You're, you're just not. And the fact that Jacobs and, and Barkley are, fin- are going to be five years, six years, sorry, in the league with no sniff of free agency. Again, it's fine for other positions. You would hope that – I mean, the tag, when I was in the league, Jim – the tag was for Brett Favre. It was for Dan Marino. It was for John Elway. It was for Troy Aikman. You know, it's like, okay, let's keep these guys with their teams. But agents are, I mean, teams are smart. They're like, well, I'm going to use it on a kicker. You know, I'm going to use it on a running back. And the tag has become much more onerous and a real weaponized than it was meant to be. 
Andrew Branch joining us. I was going to ask you about that. So what about the NFLPA? Are you not surprised that they haven't made it a greater priority to try to do something about that? And then short of that, what can running backs do? Unionize? I mean, what do you do? Yeah, I mean, I've been I've been critical. And full disclosure, I was contacted about that position. I did not have interest. And, and so I can say that. But I just think that when they get into bargaining, and they're interested in off-season uh, being off, and they're interested in lessening commissioner power, and they're interested in this and that. Franchise tag always seems to come up, but it seems to fall by the wayside when they get into the horse trading of this deal and that deal, and we'll give you this, and, and it never goes away. The one thing that I take issue with, because I've heard union people say this in the past, well, it only affects 10 players a year. No, it doesn't. Because every running back in the league is affected that these three guys didn't get deals because the market trickles down. And I used the franchise tag 50 times in my career at the Packers. I never used it, used it. But I said, well, you know, if we don't get a deal done, you know, we got the tag. It's always in your back pocket. So the tag affects so many more players than the actual get the tag. I know that teams... And people doing what I did for the Packers used it all the time to leverage against agents and players. Andrew Brand joining us, breaking it all down expertly. So before you go, you mentioned the Packers. Aaron Rodgers, Andrew, who you know very, very well, has made it pretty clear he does not want the Jets to be the subject of hard knocks. I mean, did the NFL pick the Jets for this, or did the league make the Jets do it? For those who don't know, exactly how does that process work? There's a formula now. You have, you have to have been out of the playoffs a couple of years. and the, Anyway, it came down to four teams this year, and they picked the Jets or they forced the Jets. Let me go back to the Packers. They would come up. This is before that formula, Jim. It would come up in my 10 years. Maybe it came up three or four times. And I would go into a meeting with our GM, and before I got, the word, got to the word knock, <laughs> it would say no, no, no. We are not doing that. It's a disruption, and we see zero benefit. We only see downside. I think teams see it the same way. What's the benefit? The benefit is, you know, getting some airtime on TV. They get plenty of that. Uh, I don't know if it ever been a team, maybe the Lions, maybe another team in the past that sort of was cool with being on it. The Jets don't seem to be. But that's how it works, you know, there's – these coaches and players are, are victims of routine, and that really upsets it. No, I think you're right. I, I don't see – I know what the league gets out of it. I don't know what the teams get out of it. I think the Lions did benefit from it, but I agree with you. Yeah. So, Andrew, before you go, if you don't mind, you one of your favorite sayings is, there will be lawyers. And that's the case now at Northwestern with eight former football players hiring an attorney over hazing within the program, yeah. the cost. Pat Fitzgerald's job. There's more news coming out today. You know Pat. He also retained a law firm after he was fired. How do you view what's happened there over the past week or two? And how do you think that ultimately plays out? Well, on the Fitzgerald side, you know, he hired Winston and Strawn, one of the big-time firms in Chicago. And they've got an issue with Northwestern. I see that the positivity in terms of his case is, listen, he got a two-week suspension, and somehow that turned into termination. And I know that Northwestern can say this came up and this came up and this came up, but they did a whole investigation by Northwestern's law firm, and they came up with two weeks. And now they're, they're terminating him. So 
that's going to go for a while. I think that what the players are suing about is a culture. And this is a bigger story than Northwestern, bigger story than college football. It's kind of this culture of, I guess, uh, domination of a player's schedule, of a player's uh, indoctrination into the team and how this, it's sort of the whole culture of machismo and football and hazing and sexual uh, negativities. It's something that is probably going to go on for a while. I don't know how that's going to play in a courtroom, Jim. I do know that the Fitzgerald case, in my opinion, is a strong one. Hmm. Let me finally ask you this. You have a great newsletter, Andrew. I subscribe to it. I look forward to it every weekend. You cover the business of sports generally and not just football exclusively. Let me ask you about a topic you referenced this past Sunday, the New York Times outsourcing its sports department. What is your reaction to that? And then what's that mean to sports media overall and the business? Yeah, thanks for that, Jim. People can subscribe andrew-brandt.com. I, I enjoy putting it out every Sunday. Um, this is the sign of the times, no pun intended. It's legacy media is not what it was. People get so many opportunities to get sports news and information, and they can choose it. I mean, you're an example of this. It's Jim Rome. It's Pat McAfee. It's Dan Patrick. It's, it's brands that don't depend on legacy media. And... We're in that age now. I try to be that myself, where I was with ESPN, but I'm still with Sports Illustrated, and I realize Sports Illustrated is not what it was, but I see value in that. I think what we're seeing is it's not AI, but the New York Times bought The Athletic, and they basically outsourced their sports. And that's what we seem to be coming to. There's going to be a dividing line between some hard-hitting sports long-form journalism, and then everything else. And it's unfortunate for legacy media, but this is not your father's or my father's sports media anymore. There are just too many options. So what do you tell kids? Andrew, leave me with this thought. Like, I've got a son who just graduated from the University of Wisconsin who's getting into the media, not sports, but the media. We have another son who just graduated high school. You're right. They are entering a world that's very different than the world you and I entered into. What are we telling our young content creators slash journos? I have sons the exact same age, Jim, two, two boys just like you, and I'm telling them two things. Number one, do the things. What, what successful people do is do the things that others don't want to do. Right. And when I get to young people, they say, I want into sports. I want to work for a team. I want to be an agent. I'm like, that's not enough. What are you doing to make yourself different? Are you blogging? Are you podcasting? Are you writing? Are you giving me a sample of what you see different in, in what the Packers or the Chiefs or the Giants or the Eagles did about this contract? Number two, and the same thing, is don't be, don't be the uh, try, try not to be like everyone else. Just find a little lane that you can dive into and show yourself different. Don't be the best. Be the only. You know, do something that only you, you have special knowledge, and you got to make yourself different. Because if you're in the pack, you can't stand out. you got to be different. I say the same thing all the time. In other words, what is your separation? What is right. your separation? So, Andrew, this, this is all fascinating. You're pushing out all sorts of content. Where can I direct my listeners and viewers to find all of your work right now? What's the best place to go to? Yeah, we talked about the newsletter, andrew-brandt.com. In fact, I do a, 
daily videos for people through a sports business league. If you go to andrew-brandt.com slash SBL, I do reels on Instagram at Andrew Brandt two, Twitter, Andrew Brandt sports illustrated. And then of course my day job at Villanova where I teach sports business and sports law. That'll do it. That'll do it. That's plenty. Andrew, my man, I appreciate you so much. That that elevated the conversation. I'm always pushing my listeners to elevate the conversation. That's exactly what that did. Appreciate you and your time very much, Andrew. Great job. Thank Happy you. Happy to do it. I hope to be on soon. Talk yeah, to you. You know it. We will. Good night now.